very meaningful and very blessed uh, Thanksgiving. Um, we had a chance last weekend to be in Orlando where we visited our daughter and, uh, and our son-in-law. And then uh, our son-in-law and daughter had a black tie event that they had to go to with Florida hospitals. And we had the chance to uh, take care of our daughter, or our daughter, yeah, our daughter, sure, our granddaughter, our daughter's daughter. And so a uh, great time. And uh, we deeply, deeply appreciated that. And, and yet, I tell you, it's so good to be back here. This really feels like home. You're a great church. Deeply appreciate each one of you. As I think about uh, the whole subject that we've been talking about these last couple weeks and, and we've thought about on Thanksgiving Day, um, and thinking about the importance of being thankful, listen to these words from Melinda Beck on the subject of Thanksgiving or gratitude. She says, a growing body of research has tied an attitude of gratitude with a number of positive emotional and physical health benefits. A November 2010 article of the Wall Street Journal summarized that research. Adults who frequently feel gratitude have more energy, more optimism, more social connections, and more happiness than those who do not, according to the studies conducted over the past decade. They earn more money, sleep more soundly, exercise more regularly, and have greater resistance to viral infections. Now researchers are finding that gratitude brings similar benefits in children and adolescents. Studies also show that kids who feel and act, uh, feel and act grateful, grateful tend to be less materialistic, get better grades, set higher goals, complain of fewer headaches and stomach aches, and feel more satisfied with their friends, their families, and schools than those who don't. Interestingly enough, and this is something I'd never thought about, and maybe some of you have, but studies have also shown, and this comes from a book called The Gift of Thanks by Margaret Visser, that learning to be thankful is a, has a steep learning curve for children. She writes, in our culture, Thanksgiving is believed to be, for most children, the last of the basic social graces they acquire. Children have to be brought up to say that they are grateful. As we think about all of this, I want us to look today at Psalm 100, looking to God's word, God's word which is our handbook for living, that goes beyond research, that goes beyond studies, that through years has impacted people in the most positive ways and taught us how we were supposed to live here on this good planet Earth. Well, today we're going to be looking at what's called the Old Hundredth, the Hundredth Psalm. It's considered the jewel of worship in the Psalter. It is a literary masterpiece dripping with spiritual vitality. Now, before we read it, most scholars would say that Psalm 100 was first sung as a processional hymn when pilgrims were going to the temple, and as they were going to the temple, they were going to sacrifice a thank offering. Verses 1 through 3 of this short psalm were sung by those expectant pilgrims as they were ready to enter the gates of the temple. And then verses 4 and 5 were sung by a choral group inside the temple, beckoning them, calling them to come in 
and worship. It's interesting that these groupings are a call to worship and praise and thanks, and then followed by the reasons for that joyful gratitude. If you would, please follow along with me as I read, either in your pew Bibles, the Bibles that you brought, or on the screen, and I'd like to read Psalm 100. Listen for the word of the Lord. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. May God help us to understand and apply these truths to our lives this day. Let's pray. God, as we enter into these moments of kind of digging into this psalm together, I pray that in a way that's far beyond my doing, that you would speak to us. Speak to us about where we live each day. Speak to us about our personal lives, as well as our corporate life as a church. And I pray, God, that you would help us in a new and a fresh way to have an attitude adjustment so that we might have an attitude of gratitude. Speak to the people and the preacher alike. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. Did you notice, as I was reading, that uh, there were five imperatives in the two calls to worship, two calls to worship being in verses 1 and 2 and verse 4. In passionate exuberance, those taking part in this thank-offering ceremony are strongly called to worship. First, he says, shout for joy, all the earth. The people were to lift their voices in loud, joyful praise to their wondrous God, who had delivered them from Egyptian bondage, who had led them tenderly in the wilderness for those 40 years, who had helped them move back into and, 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 and suffer victory or, or experience, not suffer victory, but experience victory in the, uh, the promised land. And then uh, they were now to enter the glorious temple. And this was a temple of Solomon. It was only right for them to make their thanksgiving known to this God who had led them all the way this God who'd been a part of their lives in every way, and they were to shout with uninhibited joy. Now, we as Presbyterians, when we hear uninhibited joy, we, get, we feel a little bit uh, creepy about that, for we do things decently and in order, and it's difficult for us to even think about, much less shout for joy in a worship service. I mean, many times it's hard for us as Presbyterians to even smile out loud, much less uh, shout out loud. However, I must tell you that yours truly has done quite a bit of shouting this week, uh, especially as Butler beat North Carolina Tuesday night. I mean, it was, yes, yes, it was a great victory. Couldn't believe it. And I hope that we're going to be shouting for joy this afternoon as those Colts take it to the Bills. It's too bad that we can shout for joy at something as insignificant as a game, and I love games, and yet be far less passionate about our joyful thanksgiving.
to our awesome God. Next, worship the Lord with gladness. We recently spent seven weeks talking about worship being the focusing of our attention on our audience of one, our great God. There's a lot that we bow down before and worship and respect and with gladness, but far too often we don't make time in our self-important hurried lives to worship the Lord with gladness. In an interview for the magazine Christianity Today, author and speaker Brennan Manning said, I believe that the real difference in the American church is not between conservatives and liberals, fundamentalists and charismatics, not between Republicans and Democrats. The real difference is between the aware and the unaware. When someone is aware of that love, the same love that the Father has for Jesus, that person is just spontaneously grateful. Cries of thanksgiving become the dominant characteristic of the interior life, and the byproduct of gratitude is joy. We're not joyful and then become grateful. We're grateful And that makes us joyful. The next imperative, he says, come before him with joyful songs. The psalmist calls God's people to join their voices and their hearts, as we have this morning, in joyful songs of thanksgiving and gratitude to God. There's something so special about joining our voices together in song, praising our awesome God. Stephen Guthrie picks up this idea in his book, The Creative Spirit, and he writes these words about the importance of singing together. As a freshman at the University of Michigan, you see my bias here already, a freshman at the University of Michigan, I sang the Michigan fight song with fellow students. At football games, in the student lounge, at pep rallies on campus, singing hail to the victors, hail to the conquering heroes, I felt a proud camaraderie with my classmates, our institution, and its sports teams. At the same time, Hail to the Victor served as a kind of embodiment of the University of Michigan community for me. When I first heard that song sung in a stadium full of Michigan supporters, I felt I was meeting the extended community and joining to it in in a very special way and taking on its character and identity. This is trivial, he goes on to say, and in many ways, a unique example. Nevertheless, it illustrates on a superficial level the sort of thing that happens much more profoundly among a group of people such as a church who gather regularly and sing. Allison and Betty Sue referenced how important that singing was with the women there in Romania. Songs are one way that a community has its identity and one way that individuals find their identity within the community. I believe that the psalmist understood that truth when he said, come before him with joyful songs. The next imperative, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Now it's from the the song is coming from the inside, and they're shouting it out in, in wonderful symmetry. 
Now it's the choral group shouting loudly, calling the people of God to come inside and come together and express their thanksgiving and praise to God. Those who remain on the outside, too busy or preoccupied with other things, are missing something very important that those on the inside will experience. And maybe some of those on the outside have had life deal them a tough hand. And they find it difficult to express thanksgiving and praise to God. They're not experiencing the collective joy and the wonder of giving thanks to God and are cutting themselves off from the community of faith. Sometimes that happens. And even though he has suffered much hardship and persecution, the Apostle Paul states emphatically in his letter to the Thessalonians that, uh, that Scott used so well for our our first uh, uh, call to worship today. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Sometimes it's easy to enter gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise, and sometimes, frankly, it isn't. Yet it's when we do enter, even though the going is tough, that we experience a peace which passes understanding, and a joy that is overwhelming. Listen to these words by the profound Henri Nouwen as he writes, To be grateful for the good things that happen in our lives is easy, but to be grateful for all of our lives, the good as well as the bad, the moments of joy as well as the moments of sorrow, the successes as well as the failures, the rewards as well as the rejections, That requires hard spiritual work. Still, we are only truly grateful when we can say thank you to all that has brought us to the present moment. As long as we keep dividing our lives between events and people we would like to remember and those we would rather forget, we cannot claim the fullness of our beings as a gift of God to be grateful for. Let's not be afraid to look at everything that has brought us to where we are right now and trust that we will soon see it in the guiding hand of a loving God. Unquote. When you and I are entering his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise, we are experiencing all that God has for us. But when we are not entering in that way, we are missing God's best for us. And we are also cheating the others who are on the inside. The community is not complete when each one of us isn't present. Give thanks to him and praise his name was the next imperative. For the Hebrew, one's name is very important. It's an expression of when a child is named, not only of what they, that child looks like or possibly could be according to the family, but hopefully what that child will become in the future. When one expresses his, gives his name to another, he's beginning a personal relationship. Remember at the burning bush when uh, Moses realizes that he's being spoken to and he says uh, to God who's speaking to him, who shall I say, say sent me? What shall I say his name is? Remember, God says, tell him that I am who I am has sent you. Some would translate it, I cause to be what I cause to be. 
and the Hebrew call that Yahweh. In other words, God was in, in, initiating a special relationship with Moses. They were going to be on a first-name basis, as it were. Maybe it's like when we give our personal information to someone, you know, our personal cell phone or our email. We're initiating a relationship. They have access to us. There's a personal relationship. Thus, when we give thanks to him and praise or bless his name, we are giving thanks for the one who already knows us by name and has allowed us to have access to him. Jesus is the ultimate expression of God's desire to be in a personal relationship with each one of us. Wow. As we look at these imperatives, they serve as an overwhelming call to worship, call to an attitude of gratitude for each one of us. Now let's just briefly look at the reasons for this attitude of gratitude. He first says, know that the Lord is God. The world and culture around the Hebrew people when this was written was filled with all kinds of gods. And those gods were worshipped by the masses of the people. For the Hebrew people, there was only one God. They were monotheistic. There were not many. And that was at the very center of who they were, their identity. There was one God so powerful and so holy that you couldn't even say one of his names, the word, the name Yahweh, or you couldn't write it. It was too holy. And certainly this was countercultural for them. Through the centuries, to know that the Lord is God has always been countercultural. It was counterculture at the time of Jesus and Paul, when the Roman emperor was thought to be a god, along with many other Greek and Roman deities. We believe that the Lord is the one and only God. No one or no thing is capable of sitting on the throne of authority in each one of our lives. The reason is that no one else can deliver. When I somehow am on the throne of my life thinking I'm God, I fail miserably. When I put other people or other things at the place of highest honor and authority, those people can never or those things can never deliver what God can. Knowing that the Lord is God is a reason for having an attitude of gratitude. It is he who made us and we are his. When the children of Israel brought their thank offerings to God, they were bringing it to the great creator God who had made everything that is. Because God had made everything, they were possessed by the creator. They had the creator's imprint on them. They were made in the image of God. And he had a right to possess them, which he did in the most gracious of ways. He lovingly cared for Israel like a shepherd who cares for a sheep. He knew each of them by name. He always searched them out when they nibbled themselves into lostness. That was a reason for an attitude of gratitude, not only as they came to the temple to worship, but in all the days and all the situations of their lives. Oh, dear friends, so it is with us. We, too, were made by a God who tenderly cares for each one of us like a shepherd cares for sheep. God knows your name. You matter to God. As Isaiah 53 puts it, even though we were all like sheep and and we've all gone astray, turning to our own way, 
but the Lord has laid on him, and we believe that him there refers to Jesus, the iniquities or the sins of us all. Jesus, the one who said, I am the good shepherd, was the one who was willing to become the lamb who would take away the sins of the world. This is not just empty rhetoric, my friends. This is incredibly good news. We can know that we've been forgiven for our sins. We can experience a genuine joy and peace as we live life. And we can have hope for whatever the future might hold. Praise God, that's a reason to have an attitude of gratitude. For the Lord is good, he goes on to say. In the midst of a world with all kinds of evil lurking in the shadows, the psalmist could say to the children of Israel, for the Lord is good. He sets the ultimate standard for goodness. His motives are pure, and he does not seek to trick us or manipulate us, but he is good. You and I can count on the fact that the Lord is still good today. He will never abuse or misuse us. He always wants the best for us. He's completely righteous and will never lead us into situations which will prove bad to us. He brings us hope that the more we are like Jesus, the more we too can be and do good. Goodness is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. His love endures forever. When life was changing all around them, Israel could count on one thing, and that was God's enduring love. Like Hosea, the minor prophet, who, when his wife Gomer left them and became, he, the, left Hosea and the kids and became a prostitute, and then Hosea goes and buys them back, buys her back, God would always love them with that same kind of love. When we talk, sing, and write about love, probably more than any other subject, none of us can say that our love will endure forever. When I stand before a couple right here, uh, and, and maybe uh, I'm marrying them, and they say the vows to one another, the last statement that they say, as long as we both shall live, and that's a limited time. When I held my granddaughter uh, last weekend, and I looked her in the eyes, and I just realized how much I loved her, the one thing I also realized is that my love will only last for so long, because I'm only going to live for so long. But God's love endures forever. And dear friends, that's a reason for an attitude of gratitude. Finally, he says, his faithfulness continues through all generations. Israel was fickle and was often unfaithful to the God who had created them, who loved them, who cared for them like a shepherd and continually searched for them when they'd gone astray. Generation after generation had experienced God's unwavering faithfulness. Today we live in a world where we often try to do in others before they can do in us. We don't keep our commitments. We are continually looking for loopholes so that we can get out of doing what we said we were going to do. We've just gone through another election cycle when all kinds of promises were made. Once elected, how many of those elected officials will be faithful to their campaign promises? <laughs> and we've even become so disillusioned that we really don't expect them to keep those promises. They just did it to be elected, we say. Oh, dear friends, in a world like that, you can count on God to be faithful in, to all generations 
and to keep his promises. What's more, the same God, through the work of the Holy Spirit, wants to produce the fruit of faithfulness within each one of us. When people see that real faithfulness, it sticks out like a sore thumb, and they're naturally drawn to God. These are just a few, few of the reasons that the psalmist says that we should be in an attitude of gratitude. I want to close with a story that I believe the psalmist would have liked and would say expresses the very attitude of gratitude he was calling the pilgrims who were entering the temple to demonstrate. Richard Stearns is the president, he may not be now, but he was in in 2011, the president of World Vision. And he tells about a a worship service that he experienced in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, nearly a year after the devastating earthquake. Far from being Solomon's temple, the church in which they were worshiping was made out of uh, canvas or tarps and, and duct tape. It was pitched in the midst of a sprawling camp of thousands of people still homeless from the earthquake. Listen to the lesson he learned there in that church in Haiti. He says, in the front row were six amputees aged from six to 60. They were clapping and smiling as they sang, sang as they sang song after song and lifted their prayers to God. The worship was full of hope with thanksgiving to the Lord. No one was singing louder or praying more fervently than Demosi Lafine, a 32-year-old unemployed single mom of two. During the earthquake, a, a, bill, a collapsed building crushed her right arm and left leg. After four days, both limbs had to be amputated. She was leading the choir. She was leading in the prayers, standing on her prosthesis and lifting her one hand in praise to God. Following the service, I I met Demosi's two daughters, ages 8 and 10. The three of them now live in a tent five feet tall and perhaps eight feet wide. Despite losing her job, her home, and her two limbs, She is deeply grateful because God spared her life on January the 12th, 2010. She says, he brought me back like Lazarus, giving me the gift of life. Demosi believes she survived that devastating quake for two reasons, to raise her girls and to serve the Lord a few more years. Stearns goes on to say, It makes no sense to me as an entitled American who grouses at the smallest inconvenience, a clogged drain, or a slow Wi-Fi connection in my home. Yet here in this place, many people who had lost everything expressed nothing but praise. Demosi had an attitude of gratitude. While researchers believe that thankfulness is the last social grace we learn, God wants to produce an attitude of gratitude within each one of us. Think of how much better our lives and the lives of those around us would be if we ask God to produce an attitude of gratitude within each one of us. Dream with me of how ZPC would be different, of how our community would be enriched, of how our country would be radically changed 
if we had an attitude adjustment and had the kind of thankfulness expressed in the psalm and seen in the life of Demosi Lafine. Just as we close today, if there are any of you who would like to pray afterwards, there will be people over in the alcove by the cross, and they would consider it a privilege to pray with you. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for allowing us to dig into the psalm together. And thank you for the way you speak to us, even through faltering words. And God, I pray that you would continue to speak to us even this day and this week about the fact that Thanksgiving isn't just that one day, but you've called us to be thankful all of our days for so many things that you have given us, but more than that, for our relationship with you. Continue to speak to us. Continue to help us to grow. Continue to help us adjust the way we live and adjust uh, ourselves so that we truly have an attitude of gratitude to you. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen.